Hi, everyone. It is Thursday, May 11th, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Joining me today, Carlo Versano, for everyone unfamiliar. Woo-woo. <laughs> uh, Carlo and I used to host the Need to Know podcast together. And for everyone who is familiar, Carlo needs no introduction. Carlo, hi. I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on. Jill Wagner, as I live and breathe. <laughs> what a delight. And thank you for having me. And thank you to Mosh for uh, letting me fill his uh, big shoes for a day. And frankly, let me just say, I'm just glad you didn't have me on to talk about the debt ceiling. (laughs) Yes, you missed that by one day, Carlo. And of course, (laughs) nothing's happening. There's no movement. So I think we're good for quite a while. Shocker. In some ways, our old podcast was kind of like a precursor to this podcast. And we used to have Moshan as a guest all the time. He was actually, I think, our original friend of the pod. He was. He was. So it's very, uh, it's cool to see that you guys are doing this. And, you know, I've been listening and um, it's awesome. I think it's really awesome what you guys have uh, have built and continue to build. All right, Carlo, it's been about two years. So let's see if we've still got it. Uh, I'm feeling a little rusty, Jill, <laughs> so bear with me. Bear with me, guys. Let's see if I still have it. Still got the magic. All right, here's what we're following. The Biden administration mobilizes troops and prepares new asylum restrictions as Title 42 is set to expire tonight. And that is because as of today, President Biden has declared the COVID public health emergency to be over. Carlo and I are going to do a little walk down memory lane. Were we the only ones who were wiping down our Clorox wipes with a Clorox wipe? (laughs) I'm still doing that. We're not supposed to? Is that not the CDC guideline? On to the economy. Inflation is getting better, but it's still elevated. We'll take a look at the new numbers. George Santos charged with a slew of crimes, including wire fraud and money laundering. But will he stay in Congress? A new survey looks at which news outlet is really the most trusted by consumers. We'll tell you what tops the list. And also the age when people really start to feel old. Carlo, I think I'm there already. I've been there, sister. (laughs) And on this day, we're going to be going through some yogi-isms. I want to start with Donald Trump's town hall with Republican voters hosted by CNN last night. The event in New Hampshire was moderated by former chief White House correspondent and anchor Caitlin Collins. Trump came out swinging, doubling down that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Take a listen. Mr. President, back to what you just said there, though, it it was not a rigged election. It was not a stolen election. You and your supporters lost more than 60 court cases on the election. It's been nearly two and a half years. Can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 election? Let me just go on. If you look at True the Vote, they found millions of votes on camera, on government cameras, where uh, they were stuffing ballot boxes. So with all of that, I think it's a shame that what happened, I think it's a very sad thing for our country. I think it's a very sad thing, frankly, for the world. Again, there is no evidence of that at all. Uh, He said he would pardon many of the January 6th rioters. When asked about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, Trump said that it was a, quote, great victory. Asked if he would support any new gun control policies in light of mass shootings, he blamed mental health and said that he wants to harden schools and arm teachers. He was also asked about the verdict this week that found him liable of sexual abuse and defamation of E. Jean Carroll. He again insisted that he didn't know her. 
and at times mocked Carol to laughs from the audience. As for how he would bring down inflation, he said, drill, baby, drill. The audience, again, was Republican and undecided voters, and the crowd seemed to like what they were hearing, applauding and laughing at many of his remarks. We'll have plenty more of the highlights on the Mosh Instagram page, at Mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H. All right, Carlo, and now to a story that we've been covering for quite a while here on the podcast, the pandemic-era immigration policy, Title 42, officially expires at 11.59 p.m., a reminder that Title 42 dates back to the early days of the pandemic and the Trump administration. It was a public health order from the CDC. They said in order to stop the spread of the virus, authorities were able to quickly expel migrants at the border. It's been used more than three million times over the past few years. But because the White House, as of today, declared an end to the health emergency, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast, Title 42 now expires. And with that, officials are expecting a surge of migrants, which in some cases has already started. Uh, U.S. authorities say that they're already strained. Nearly 9,000 migrants have been crossing the southern border every day this week in anticipation. Compare that to about 5,500 just a few months ago. Holding facilities, detention cells stretched beyond capacity, according to officials, And again, those numbers are only expected to go up. In response, the Biden administration just finalized a new restriction on asylum. So migrants are going to be disqualified from U.S. protection if they don't request refugee status in another country that they enter on their way to the United States, which means if you're traveling from Nicaragua, for example, and you pass through Mexico to get to the United States, you would have to have asked for asylum in Mexico. In practice, This could disqualify many non-Mexican migrants. There are exceptions to the rules. The Biden administration also, by the way, sending troops to the border. The ACLU already saying it's going to be filing a lawsuit against the Biden administration's rule. I want to play a little bit, though, from Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. He spoke on Wednesday uh, just talking about how we got here. I cannot overemphasize that our current situation is the outcome of Congress leaving a broken, outdated immigration system in place for over two decades, despite unanimous agreement that we desperately need legislative reform. It is also the result of Congress's decision not to provide us with the resources we need and that we requested. Carlo, Moshe and I talk about this all the time. Congress really is broken. It doesn't do hard things anymore, like passing some type of comprehensive immigration reform, which would likely mean both sides would have to compromise on something. Yeah. And I think, you know, we used to talk about that on on the Need to Know podcast, and this is going to continue to be the case probably for some time, because for one of the reasons I think is a lot of the people in both parties who are elected to Congress now aren't particularly interested in legislating, right? They're interested in personal brand building. So, you know, what is the point of a compromise that's not going to do as well on TV or on Twitter as, you know, you railing against the opposition? But, you know, back to Title 42, the, the basic issue that we're seeing is this new surge at the border, as you mentioned, um, because there is this assumption among migrants, mostly in Central America, that it's now going to be easier to claim asylum at the border, right? Whether it's at legal points of entry or in most cases not. Uh, also, I thought this was interesting. NBC was reporting an exclusive today that the White House is going to direct Customs and Border Patrol to release migrants who are not deemed a threat 
into the United States, basically on like a version of parole, they're going to tell them they have to check in with ICE at a later date, but they will not be tracking them. So they're doing this because they want, they're worried about overcrowding, right? They want to alleviate overcrowding and some of those horrible images that we've seen in the past of, you know, people in cages or cells or whatever you want to call it. But the main, you know, the, the main concern with the ending of this rule is that we could get a, even worse humanitarian crisis on the border than we've seen in the past. And I think, you know, from a political standpoint, which I almost hate to even say, because, you know, these, this is, again, this is a humanitarian issue, I think, first and foremost. But from a political standpoint, this is one of two extremely salient issues for the president, the other being inflation, which we're going to uh, talk about in a minute. Right. Some of these policies, sending troops to the border, it's something that President Trump did. And when he did it, Democrats really criticized him for it. Right. And the issue and the issue that you mentioned before, the law, I should say, that you mentioned before about having to, um, you know, basically attempt to uh, claim asylum in countries before you reach the U.S. That was a Trump rule that they're bringing back. And Carla, once again, the reason that Title 42 expires today is because the Biden administration is ending the covid public health emergency nationally effective today. But I do want to mention about 150 Americans, sometimes more than that, are still dying of this virus every single day. Most are elderly with pre-existing conditions. Uh, that is more, though, than 1,000 Americans a week. So far, more than 1.1 million Americans have died from COVID since the pandemic started. And we barely talk about it anymore, to the point where while researching this podcast, I learned about the latest strain that is circulating. It is called... Arcturus. I was the first I heard of it. Have you have you heard of that strain? I, I have, but only just because it's now part of my new job. But it's uh, I believe it's the one that's circulating in India, right? I'm not nearly as read in on all these different strains as, as I used to be when you and I were learning the uh, Greek alphabet back but in the day. I remember Delta. Um, Omicron, of course, was a huge, huge deal. Um, these were household names. By the way, this new strain, they say that one of the symptoms, which is different from previous versions, especially in kids, is pink eye. I, I had read that. Yeah, pretty wild. But Carlo, people always ask me if you and I are still friends. And the answer is, of course, we're still no. friends. <laughs> Not only <laughs> yes. do we get along, but you and I were in the trenches together. So not only did we do the early, early shift, which just creates a bond, but I feel like we went through the pandemic together in a way on our old podcast. And as we were talking, uh, you and I ahead of today, just kind of prepping for what we wanted to talk about, we thought it would be a good idea to take a little time for us and for everyone to just really take in what a wild and insane few years we have had collectively. Well, Jill, that's absolutely true. And, you know, we, we, when you and I are texting, sometimes we're talking about um, just how crazy it was, especially just 2020. I mean, sometimes I'll be walking around Brooklyn, like sort of, you know, with Franny, with my little daughter, and we'll be minding our own business. And I'll just like think back to that year. It was crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, so you had, we had the pandemic, then we had protests, some of them turned into riots. At one point, we were under curfew in New York City. Do you even remember that? I remember being outside drinking in the street outside of a bar, and there were uh, New York Police Department shoppers buzzing us, telling us we had to go home. It was like out of some sort of like dystopian novel. Um, the president of the United States almost died of the coronavirus <laughs> right before an election. To say nothing of January 6th, which, of course, was was the, the following year. But, yes, uh, we kept each other sane on the pod. I don't know if I would have gotten um, through it without you, Jill. And, uh, I, but, but back to you know, the, the news here, which is that the emergency is ending. Um, 
it is significant, right? This is coming three years and a hundred days after the uh, pandemic was declared. That was back when we were still wiping down our groceries, right? I mean, you remember that? Like that was a thing that we did, wiping down our Amazon package. What, forget wiping them down. I would leave them in the garage for like two or three days, thinking that if there was <laughs> anything right. on it, it, that would just, they would, you know, that's how long the virus yeah. could potentially live. Right. And I mean, just think about how much we've learned um, as a country and as a society, how far we've come. Um, but I think one way to think of today is, you know, if COVID were a war, today would be the Armistice Day, right? Today would be VC Day. But Jill, I just want to highlight what you just said uh, before, that number, 1.1 million deaths in this country. That's more than uh, both world wars combined, right? I mean, do you remember when Dr. Fauci came out and predicted 200,000 people could die from this? And I remember we stopped in our tracks. We were like, what? That's not possible. And we're talking about a death toll that is five times higher than that and continues to go up every day. Um, so I think, you know, one of the open questions as we sort of look back on the last three years is preparedness. Are we more prepared for the next pandemic? I mean, in some ways, yes, right? The national stockpile. I mean, remember in the early days, we were, you know, there were those stories about nurses in, in ICUs that were wearing garbage bags because they didn't have any PPE. That, that has been fixed, right? The, the, the national stockpile of PPE has been fixed. Um, we have a stockpile of vaccines. We have a stockpile of Paxlovid, which didn't even exist back then. There's all these advancements in the vaccine technology. But of course, in a lot of ways, we're not at all. And I don't think anybody, even in the White House, would disagree with that. Um, but back to, you know, practically speaking, in terms of, you know, news you can use, all that this really means, the end of the emergency declaration, is that the federal government isn't going to reimburse you for COVID tests anymore. That's the, that's the practical matter here. But the United States Postal Service will still send you some. So don't sleep on that. If you need your COVID tests, post office will bring them to you gratis. Okay, we have so much news to get to. But first, a quick word from our sponsor today, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings, the Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, let's start with the economy and inflation. From CNBC, a widely followed measure of inflation rose in April, although the pace of the yearly increase provided a little bit of hope that the cost of living will head lower later this year, potentially. The Consumer Price Index, it's a measure of the cost of a broad swath of goods and services, increased by 0.4% for the month. And that now comes to a yearly increase of 4.9%, which is slightly less than the 5% estimate, but it's the lowest annual pace since April of 2021. The bottom line here uh, in all these numbers, inflation is still just kind of sticky. It's down from a high Mm -hmm. of 9.1% last summer, but it is still way above the Fed's target, which is 2%. So just for a little bit of, of perspective Increases in the cost of shelter, gas, and used vehicles pushed the index higher. 
Some takeaways from Heather Long. She is a Washington Post economics reporter. Carla, we like to call her a friend of the pod who doesn't know she is a friend of the pod. (laughs) Um, She says grocery prices have been falling for the past two months. Electricity and natural gas also down for the past two months. There is hope that rents will peak soon, but we're not quite there yet. As for the Fed, one analyst saying that the report suggests the Fed's campaign to quell inflation is working, but more slowly than they would like. Um, To bring down inflation, the central bank's been raising interest rates 10 consecutive times. That's now totaling five percentage points, which is the highest level in about 16 years. The Fed chair did signal at the last meeting that they might be done raising rates, at least for now. Carla, we used to talk about inflation two years ago, especially as new parents. Everything is just so expensive. And at least on my end as a consumer, it still feels that way. Well, that's for sure, Jill. And I remember, I mean, you know, eating, talk about eating crow. I remember, you know, I used to say that uh, when I would eat crow and people would make fun of me for using a a term that like only, you know, senior (laughs) citizens use. Um, I I used to say like, hey, it's transitory, right? It's just the shit. It's the shipping. It's the, uh, you know, it's the supply chain. It'll all get back to normal. Obviously, I was pretty wrong about that, as were a lot of people, including the Fed chair. But so that basically, you know, we're saying that inflation is at 5%. That's the, you know, that's the takeaway from the CPI numbers. Does anybody really believe that inflation is at 5%? Any chump who's been to a grocery store <laughs> knows that when you go to the checkout, the total on the screen is a hell of a lot higher than 5% higher than it would have been a year ago. I mean, the most stressful part of my week I say this as a working parent, is that moment every Sunday at the cashier. And I'm like, am I going to break 300 bucks? Oh, God, am I going to break 400 bucks? And I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine. I'm not saying that I don't believe the data, right? I, I believe that the data, I just don't think that it's capturing something. And I also think that a lot of people don't really comprehend, you know, this is baked in the cake now, right? When was the last time you went to a store and they had lowered the prices? And I don't mean having a sale, right? Your Starbucks iced latte that was $4, two years ago and is now $6, isn't going back to $5. The best case scenario is it stays at $6. And that's a real problem. And again, back to the political angle, this is the most salient political headwind that the president faces, right? Uh, Trump's various criminal and civil issues, they're not going to mean squat if inflation is top of mind next November. It's not going to matter even if the labor market continues to be as tight as it is. I mean, we're running, you know, four, three, three 3.5% unemployment right now. That's incredible. But people will vote out the president if they feel that they're economically precarious. It's as simple as that. Um, so the question of, you know, is the Fed sort of bringing us into this soft landing where we're not going to have a recession, they're not going to have to crash the economy, but they're also going to be able to bring inflation down to the target. I, I don't know. I, I hope so, but I, I'm very skeptical. And uh, one more thing I just want to mention is pay attention to commercial real estate. This is something that does not get talked about a lot. It, it ties into the regional banking issues that I know you guys have covered. Is you know Those are the banks that are making most of the commercial real estate loans in America. It's not going to be 2008, but this is a $6 trillion market that is in serious trouble. I mean, you walk around midtown Manhattan, there's a lot of people on the street, but it's mostly tourists. Right. People are not in the office buildings and they are not going back to the office buildings the way that they were a few years ago. And that is going to have major, major implications that none of us really know yet. Carlo, I'm glad that you mentioned commercial real estate because it's it's potentially going to be a huge issue uh, that is not getting enough attention at all. And what you said about food is totally spot on. The numbers show that food prices actually have gone up about 11% year over year. Mm -hmm. It feels, though, like they've gone up even more than that. It feels like 30% to me. I run to the supermarket for 
a few things. Like, you know, the, the small runs that you do when you just need to pick up a couple of items? Yeah. I don't think... It used to be 20 bucks. Now it's 50. 50. Sometimes I'm like $100. Yeah. I have four things in my car. Yeah. And that is such real money. That is real money for people. And you've got to eat. <laughs> you know, it's not like... It, it's not a luxury. Every It's all anybody talks about. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but when I'm at the park and other parents are around... It's people are constantly having the conversation that we just had. And I bet that's happening all over the country. Speaking of politics from The New York Times, Congressman George Santos, who represents my home district, by the way, Carlo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. No, most we talk about it anytime his name comes (laughs) out. He is, of course, the Republican. His victory in New York was soon followed by revelations that he had basically lied about his entire biography on the campaign trail. Well, he has been charged by federal prosecutors in a wide-ranging indictment that accuses him of wire fraud, money laundering, stealing public funds, and lying in federal disclosure forms. Santos pleaded not guilty today in court on Long Island. He was released on a $500,000 bond. Federal prosecutors say that he was involved in three separate schemes. The bulk of the indictment focuses on allegations that he directed an unnamed political consultant to solicit contributions to a company that he falsely claimed was a political fund, but then he used the money for personal expenses, things like designer clothing and making credit card payments. The indictment also accuses him of fraudulently claiming unemployment benefits made available during the coronavirus pandemic. Prosecutors say he received more than $24,000 in unemployment payments while he was drawing a salary of $120,000 a year from a Florida-based investment firm. And prosecutors say he knowingly made false statements on financial disclosure forms during both of his congressional campaigns in 2020 and 2022 to mislead the House and the public about his finances. The indictment also claims that he falsely inflated his salary during both campaigns, failed to disclose some income, and lied about the balances in his checking and savings accounts. After court, he stopped to talk to reporters. He called it a witch hunt, and that was kind of met by laughter and some jeers. Take a listen. Fight to defend myself. The reality is, is it's a witch hunt because (laughs) it, it, it makes no sense that in four months, four months, five months, I'm indicted. You have Joe Biden's entire family receiving deposits from nine, nine family members receiving money from foreign, from foreign destinations into their bank account. He also said at the press conference that he is absolutely not resigning, uh, as we noted on the Instagram account, to have his confidence, Carlo. (laughs) It must be nice. (laughs) Personal brand building, right? That's all it is. Uh, The question, though, is what this means for his standing in Congress. Will he be forced to resign? It looks like probably not. Yeah, even as a growing number of rank and file uh, Republicans in the House calling for his resignation, uh, Speaker McCarthy saying that, you know, he's going to be allowed to serve as given that he was fairly elected. Uh, Mitt Romney, by the way, today coming in hot saying that uh, I think he was on CNN today said Santos is, quote, an embarrassment to the U.S. Congress. Mitt Romney, man. Remember when Mitt Romney basically scolded him during the State of the Union address? And he yeah. was like, why are you got, even here? A little tip. <laughs> Yeah. It's like you're front and center shaking the president's hand. What are you doing? Yeah. No, I mean, the guy uh, I saw on Moshe's Instagram account today, by the way, and you cannot make this up. The House slated to vote this week on a bill that would help states recover some of that fraudulent COVID unemployment uh, benefits that that they doled out. Santos, a co-sponsor 
of that bill. I mean, seriously, this, you couldn't make you, this wouldn't even if the the writers of Veep put this in, somebody would be like, "No, nah, that's too that's too crazy. Nobody's going to believe it." Um, you know, I look. I I don't think it's a partisan thing to say, and I, I hope it doesn't go against the ethos of this podcast to say it, but. Don't we just deserve better representation? In case you're wondering, by the way, what Santos was talking about in that soundbite about Biden taking foreign money, this story from NPR, House Oversight Chairman James Comer laid out a series of allegations that President Biden's family has benefited financially from foreign contacts. The White House denying this. Comer claims the panel had obtained bank records showing that Biden's family, including his son Hunter, received millions of dollars from individuals connected with Romania and China. Biden in the White House uh, and a lawyer for Hunter Biden, of course, slamming these claims, a lawyer for uh, Hunter saying that Republicans still have, quote, nothing to show for the probes into his client and that his business activities for the last five years, saying, quote, today's so-called revelations are retreaded, repackaged misstatements of perfectly proper meetings and businesses by private citizens, end quote. Uh, Jill, I think, you know, one of the big questions, I guess, in the legal world is, will we see an indictment of Hunter Biden, um, even if it's by the uh, Biden DOJ coming before the election? I got to say, I would not want to be a lawyer for the federal government that has the job of potentially indicting the president's son. All right, switching gears, some bad news for the news industry from Morning Brew. The latest survey from YouGov finds that most people don't trust the media. Shocking, I know. (laughs) According to the survey, CNN and MSNBC are the most divisive. Not surprisingly, more Democrats than Republicans trust those news outlets. The survey shows that Democrats, though, are more likely to trust most media outlets than Republicans just in general. They're even more likely than Republicans to trust the New York Post, which is a conservative leaning paper. The most trusted news source overall, the Weather Channel, followed by PBS and the BBC. Look, kudos to the Weather Channel because those reporters are out in hurricanes and tornadoes. So Jim Cantori, my boy. So you know what? I guess <laughs> they deserve it. Also, weather isn't totally controversial. Um, according to the According to the survey, CNN and Fox News enjoy the trust of just 40% and 38% of the public, respectively. As for social media, TikTok ranked as the most distrusted social media platform. And uh, interestingly, I thought LinkedIn was the most trusted, which I guess kind of makes sense. That's actually surprising to me because I feel like I see a lot of BS on LinkedIn. Personally, <laughs> I would. I guess maybe because it's, it's, it's like it's a professional. Prof- yes, it's professional. Yes, no one's getting their news from LinkedIn. They're getting it from Mo News, obviously. <laughs> Carlo, you and I have been in the news business for a while, and this is pretty much why Mo started Mo News to be nonpartisan and just kind of keep people informed and play it straight and give. There's facts. There are things called facts, and they are important. Yeah, look, you're, I'm glad that you're covering this survey uh, today, actually, because this, this was shocking, I thought, when it came out the other day. Um, the Weather Channel, basically the only legacy media outlet that was not viewed as majorly partisan, but also to your point before, liberals trusting InfoWars more than conservatives trusting the New York Times. InfoWars, of course, the outlet of uh, Alex Jones, right? The you know famous conspiracy theorist. That's a big problem. Um, but of course, this brings me conveniently to my plug and why I'm here today, Jill. I am just uh, starting to work at this new digital uh, news outlet, this new media company whose mission is to deliver accurate, balanced, 
nonpartisan news and information, kind of like what you guys are doing, frankly. Uh, it's called The Messenger, and uh, our coverage is going to span news, politics, as well as our readers' most important passion points from sports and entertainment to tech, health, and business. Uh, we're building out a huge newsroom, um, already like 150 journalists on staff. It's really exciting. So check out themessenger.com. It is launching on Monday, and um, you can find me over there. Okay, very cool, Carlo. We'll definitely check it out. Okay, now to a story that I was actually going to put in yesterday's podcast, but I decided to wait for today because I wanted to talk about it with you. This from Axios. There is a typical age when most Americans start feeling like their youth is slipping away. (laughs) And it is 42 years old. My current age, by the (laughs) way. Um, This is according to a recent poll from the Wall Street Journal. The journal notes that there might be an average age that youth fades, but what aging feels like is definitely unique to each person. Sometimes it's a health scare. Sometimes it's comments from younger colleagues that make people feel kind of old. Uh, The oldest members of the millennial generation are reaching their early 40s now and are experiencing this very phenomenon. Worth noting, there is a gap between the age when Americans stop feeling young, which is 42 years old, and the age that they start feeling old, which is 52 years old. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Interesting. Uh, the silver lining, though, there is a great deal to celebrate about getting older and reaching your 40s, 50s, and beyond. It's that happiness actually spikes in our 70s when people have more free time, less stress, less pressure. Many of us reach big life milestones, whether it's advancing in careers, getting married, or picking up new hobbies um, in those later years as well. Carlo, as you know, my household is a big college sports household. And it was recently, I think. How did Michigan do last year, by the way? Football? Uh, football. They crushed it. They were awesome. I know. <laughs> I'm just you up. Carlo, that's why I love you. Thank you for that. Basketball, though, <laughs> a totally different story. We didn't even make uh, March yeah. Madness. It was, it was kind of pitiful. But as I was saying, it was kind of within the past couple of years that I started to look at the athletes, the college athletes, and just the crowds and thinking that they looked like kids, that they like really feeling like they looked so young. And I used to feel like even <laughs> up until I guess five or six years ago, like, oh, I'm just out of college. And I'm really not. I'm I'm not. It's been 20 years <laughs> since I've been in college. That is a long time. Yeah, well, you really feel it at work. Um, just, you know, I've got this new job and there's a lot of, you know, younger. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm an elder millennial or geriatric millennial uh, like you. Um, I'm 39. Uh, and there's a lot of younger folks on the on this team. And, and sometimes they're having conversations I can't even decipher. And I'm like, oh, my God, this like that. That makes me feel old. But you really stop being or feeling young to me, at least the minute that you have a baby. Uh, right. I mean, that to me felt like that was the milestone where I was like, okay, now my life is just different. And it's actually very freeing, right? Because I think one of the best sort of like knock on effects of parenthood is that you completely stop caring about what other people think of you. And you sort of like have this big release of all of that, that FOMO, right? That fear of missing out that sort of like latches onto you in your twenties and and maybe your early thirties, at least for me. Uh, and I just cannot stress enough how good it feels when you realize that most of that stuff doesn't matter and that you are guaranteed to miss out on almost <laughs> every life experience there is, right? I mean, it's a, it, it, think about that. And, you know, once you have a kid, you start to, you start to realize this in different tangible ways and you sort of have this, this realization, or at least I did, that, you know, your only mission in life now is to A, keep your child alive and B, help them learn the values that are going to make them a good person and a good citizen and a good member of society. And it just, there's not enough time 
to sort of worry about all those uh, all those other things. Carlo, it reminds me of this meme that I recently saw. And yes, everything <laughs> eventually comes back to a meme. Of but it was something like, oh, I'd love to meet you for a drink, but my child is too busy living their best life and I'm their chauffeur. <laughs> and it's so true. Yes. Here, here. Uh, here, here. For me, another sign that I was no longer young, quote unquote, is that I always feel like I'm going to get hurt no matter what I'm doing. Like doing activities that I should not oh, yeah. be getting hurt. Getting up even or just lifting my kids. You know, all of a sudden my back is bothering me. Also, one drink, one alcoholic beverage, and I cannot move yeah. the next day. Well, the, the cost-benefit analysis of, of <laughs> yeah. heavy drinking now has completely changed from what it was even a few years ago. But I'll, to your point about um, getting hurt, I, I don't know if I told you a few months ago, I was this is like so embarrassing, but I was walking down the stairs in my apartment and I just fi- fell like feet like out of a cartoon, feet <laughs> out from under me, fell down the stairs. Um, I thought I sprained my ankle. Turned out I broke my foot and I was in a boot for like three or four months. And I was going to the doctor and I was like, what, can this thing, why is this not healing? And he was just like, because you're not 19 years old anymore. Like this is, this is how it works now. You're going to be in a boot until it heals. And yeah, that's the, that's the cost of, cost of getting older, I guess. Right. Well, speaking of age and dates, time for On This Day in History. On this day in 1960, about 14 years after escaping from a prison camp, former Nazi official Adolf Eichmann was captured by Israeli intelligence agents near Buenos Aires. He was later taken to Israel, where he was tried, convicted, and executed. For anyone interested in this history, I I recommend the movie Operation Finale. It's about the operation to capture him uh, with Oscar Isaac. Really good. I I heard about that, actually. It's one of the many uh, films in my queue. Uh, Eichmann... You know, he was a traveling salesman before he joined the SS. Uh, my brother actually told me that he's sort of a, a, a World War II history aficionado, I guess you could say. But I, I mentioned that because it's the perfect example of the sort of banality of evil that you mentioned, right? Like this guy was essentially a bureaucrat um, who became one of the most evil men in history. Uh, and also one of the first times a trial was shown on live TV and produced like a television show was the Eichmann trial in the sixties. They used different cameras and actual control room, switching the feeds. You know, you, we're all used to seeing that now, but this was the, this was the beginning of that. Uh, it was essentially the first sort of televised drama complete with a real life villain. So it's a very, uh, very interesting, um, on this day in history, uh, sort of tidbit there. The banality of evil. That was, uh, Hannah Aaron. I believe who who wrote the book who she covered she covered yeah. the trial and then wrote a book called Eichmann in Jerusalem and and coined that phrase and I think it's a, a warning for all of us that this can happen again as much as you think that it couldn't yeah absolutely I mean this was what seventy five years ago it was like no time at all a blink of an eye uh, and you know we've seen we've seen cases of rising fascism across the world that um, you know are, is, is notable in this regard. All right, on this day in 1925, American baseball player, manager, and coach Yogi Berra was born in St. Louis, Missouri. And in honor of the day, I looked up some of his top Yogi-isms. All right, it's deja vu all over again. (laughs) The future ain't what it used to be. We made too many wrong mistakes. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. And (laughs) you can observe a lot just by watching. Adolf Eichmann to Yogi Berra. You guys really do cover everything. It's, uh, We've it's got range, Carlo. <laughs> you do. I appreciate that. A couple other good ones, of course. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. <laughs> and of course, 
it ain't over till it's over. Actually, and I did a little light Googling before this because I thought that this quote, I'd never want to belong to a club that wouldn't have me as a member. I thought that was a yogiism. It was actually Groucho Marx. So the more you know. And here I thought it was Larry David. (laughs) (laughs) And on this day, May 11th in 1997, IBM's chess playing computer, Deep Blue, defeated Garry Kasparov in the last game of a six-game match, marking the first time that a current world champion had lost a match to a computer under tournament conditions. And the reason that I wanted to include this is because I think it's pretty relevant as we talk about chat GPT and AI and all the warnings that we've been given that basically um, they're going to be taking over humans soon. (laughs) Well, especially because IBM completely whiffed on AI, right? I mean, decades ago, you know, the thing that came after uh, Deep Blue was Watson. Remember, that was sort of like a big marketing campaign. It was the precursor to these LLMs, these large language models that are, um, you know, now now powering things like ChatGPT. Watson won Jeopardy, right? Beat Ken Jennings. That was like a huge story back then. And now, of course, it's an also-ran, if even that, in the real AI race, which is essentially between Microsoft uh, and Google. IBM, of course, did make headlines with regard to AI just last week. I don't know if you if you had seen this, but the CEO said that he believes there's going to be nearly 8,000 jobs within IBM back office, right? So things like HR, payroll, those sorts of uh, those sorts of departments that are going to be rendered redundant almost immediately, and they're going to stop filling those positions as people leave. So yeah, the you know the the effects of these um, generative AI models. It's happening now. This is not like some, you know, this is not Skynet. It's not some future thing. It's, it's, it's real and it's here. And Carla, we always like to end with some pop culture reference or a little bit of music. On this day in 1981, Bob Marley, the Jamaican reggae star, of course, uh, he died of cancer at the age of 36. And it's always shocking when you hear about some of these musicians that have such a huge catalog of music how young they died because they got so much accomplished in so few years. And it's, it's even more of a shame when you think about just how much, obviously that they passed away, but just add how much more they could have potentially contributed. Yeah. I mean, look at Amy, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain. I think they, they both died at 27 or 28. Bob Marley, by the way, Franny's favorite song is three little birds. We sing that. Uh, I wish I, I should have brought her in. If we, if I knew we were doing a Bob Marley, uh, item, we could have had her do the, uh, don't worry, <laughs> every little thing. Anyway. That that used to be a favorite of Alex's as well. Um, and Carlo, for anyone who's made it this far, and for all of those people who used to listen to us back in the day, we talked so much about your daughter when she was born. How old is she now and how is she doing? Oh, thank you for asking. And it was so nice to see your daughter when we were uh, prepping <laughs> for this. Little Alex is like a grown girl. It's crazy. It's crazy how time flies, right? Uh, but Franny's great. She's going to be two in a couple of weeks. She's um, she's a, a, a terrorist. Uh, she has, Her tantrums are out of control, but she is the sweetest little thing. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. Aww. And uh, I, uh, I I just I, I, I love her so much. And I wish I could uh, show off a picture. But of course, we're audio because um, she is adorable. Well, Carlo, I am so happy that you are enjoying fatherhood. And I'm I'm also just thrilled that you were able to come on the podcast and that we were able to make it work. Um, and on that note, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Call us 1-800-711-MOSH. That's M-O-S-H. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MOSH, M-O-S-H. 
E-H. Jill, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. I am always in the bullpen. If you guys need a uh, need a hand, if you're going on vacation or anything, call me up to the majors. <laughs> I'm ready. Put Feeling me in, now. coach. Put me in, coach. But if we were a little rusty today, apologies. But um, it was a blast. And Jill, if uh, any of your listeners want to follow me, I am Carlo underscore Versano on Twitter, as well as on Instagram, I believe. Uh, and uh, themessenger.com. I will plug one more time. Check it out. It's launching Monday. Your source after Mo News uh, for nonpartisan news and information all day, every day. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.